This morning I'd like to speak to you briefly about the politics of the prophets. A rather timely topic to deal with during an election year, wouldn't you say? Now there is always a danger in mentioning politics of any kind from the pulpit. At least there's a danger if you happen to be an Orthodox Catholic who believes in the Ten Commandments and the natural law. Then you had better watch it. On the other hand, if you happen to be a cleric of a more, shall we say, liberal persuasion when it comes to abortion and other social issues, then you can say whatever you want from a pulpit or anywhere else on political topics and not a word of protest is uttered in most secular media outlets. I find it interesting, for example, that a certain Baptist minister who proudly uses the title Reverend in public has his own TV show on one of the cable news networks, a show that's almost completely political in its focus. Whatever happened to the separation of church and state, Reverend Sharpton? Oh well, I guess that only applies to some of us. I, of course, never tell anyone from the pulpit whom they should vote for, although I have been accused of doing that by some people. I'll never forget, several years ago, just before a presidential election, a woman, an older woman, an irate older woman, came to the rectory one afternoon demanding to talk with me. So I took her into the sunroom, we sat down, and she immediately pointed her finger at me and shouted, I am very upset with you. You want us to vote for so-and-so. I said, well, that's very interesting. But tell me, have I ever said in one of my homilies, in this election, you should vote for so-and-so. Have I ever said anything like that? She said, well, no. But I know you, and you want us to vote for so-and-so. Now, I will give that woman credit for one thing. She was making connections. Very important connections. Connections between what I actually did say in my homilies and the circumstances of her daily life. And my brothers and sisters, I make no apologies for that occurrence because that's exactly what a preacher is supposed to help people to do. He's supposed to help men and women make connections. He's supposed to help them connect the timeless message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with their everyday experience. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says this in paragraph 2246. This is the official teaching of the Church. The Catechism states, it is part of the Church's mission to pass moral judgments even in matters related to politics, whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. So when a priest stands at a pulpit and says something like, 
it's wrong for a politician to support and promote the destruction of innocent human life through abortion, euthanasia, and embryonic stem cell research, or when that cleric says it's wrong for a politician to directly attack the religious freedom and conscience rights of others, when a priest does that kind of thing, he is simply doing what he was ordained to do. He's highlighting truths, truths that should guide Catholics and all men and women of goodwill in choosing the best possible people to be their leaders. Now, if those listening to him at a Mass on a particular Sunday make connections in their minds, direct connections between those truths and certain individual politicians, that's their business. The priest can't help that. That's beyond his control. The fault actually lies with the politicians who advocate those evil public policies. And the policies are evil because they violate basic, fundamental human rights. Like the right to life. And the right to religious freedom. Rights, incidentally, upon which this nation was founded. See, politicians can differ on the best way to fix the economy and the health care system, but not on basic human rights. Human rights are non-negotiable. They always have been and they always will be. Now, if you still have an objection to priests like me addressing subjects like this in their homilies, I do ask you to try this morning to be thankful. Be thankful that you have to listen to somebody like Father Ray every weekend and not somebody like Samuel or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Elijah or Amos or John the Baptist or any of the great biblical prophets. I say be grateful, be thankful because believe me, compared to all of those guys, I am a veritable pussycat. <laughs> meow, meow. I really am. Biblically speaking, who were the prophets? Well, very simply, the prophets were people who proclaimed God's word, God's sacred truth to others. They were not fortune tellers. That's a common misunderstanding. Yes, it's true, they did talk at times about the future but always in relation to what was happening in the present moment. For example, the prophets often said things like, repent, reform, reform your lives, so that something bad will not happen to you. Notice, the message points to the future, right. But it's designed to get people to change their lives in a positive way in the present moment. That's typical of prophecies in the Bible. Actually, we are all called to be prophets in the world today because of the very fact that we're baptized. We are called to be the fulfillment of the desire of Moses that he expressed to Joshua in today's first reading, in that line where he says, Would that all the people of the Lord were prophets. Would that the Lord might bestow his spirit on them all. 
Each and every one of us is called to speak God's truth to other people in love. As St. Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 4.15, that's our common Christian calling. That's our common Catholic mandate. And yet, as we all know, throughout history, God has appointed certain people to be prophets in a more formal sense. I mentioned some of these a few moments ago, some of these individuals, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, etc. Now, what I realized when I was preparing this homily the other day is that these men, whom we read about in the sacred scriptures, were extremely political when they spoke and wrote their prophecies. At least they were political by our standards according to our modern definition of that term. And I'll be honest with you, that's something that had never struck me before, at least not the way that it did the other day. But it's so true. Think, for example, of how often the prophets verbally attacked the wicked kings of Israel and Judah. They did it all the time. It's on almost every page of their writings. They didn't just enunciate principles like we priests do. They named names. Think of the prophet Samuel. Remember what he said to Saul, the very first king of Israel. He said, Saul, because you did not obey God in dealing with the Amalekites, your kingship's over, buddy. It's finished. David will be king and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to change that fact. That is typical of how the prophets confronted their leaders when their leaders disobeyed God. The prophets also meddled in what we would refer to today as foreign policy. Jeremiah, for example, gave King Zedekiah advice on how to deal with the Egyptians and the Babylonians at a crucial moment in the history of Judah. And by the way, he gave him great advice. The only problem was Zedekiah didn't listen to him. Even a good king like David was reprimanded by a prophet, the prophet Nathan. It happened, as you will recall, after David had his little fling with Bathsheba. So even the personal lives of the rulers were considered to be fair game for the prophets of sacred scripture. Remember John the Baptist? Remember what he used to tell Herod? The Bible records it quite explicitly. He used to say to him, in effect, Herod, the woman you're living with, Herodias, she's the lawful wife of your brother Philip. You stole her. You're committing adultery, Herod. And John never, ever made any apologies for his words. Not even when he was tossed into prison. Needless to say, the prophets were very, very serious about their politics. And they were never shy about expressing themselves on political matters. Believe me, here in the United States in 2012, they'd probably all end up in jail. So you see what a great blessing it is that you have me. <laughs> it's 
See what a great blessing it is that you have us, priests and bishops and deacons, to simply remind you of the truths, the principles that should guide you in the voting booth and in every other aspect of life. More about that from a special guest priest in late October. I'll bet you can't wait. <laughs>